Welcome to the FinTV podcast series, where we tap into the collective expertise of the world's leading supply chain, manufacturing, and digital innovators. My name is Maria Villablanca, the co-founder and CEO of Future Insights Network, and I'll be your host. Join us every week to hear the opinions, lessons, and general guidelines from the industry's leading minds. FinTV, insights for today's digital leaders. Hi, everybody. Welcome to FinTV. Today's guest is Arnaud Lafontaine, who is the former supply chain director for compliance for GSK. Uh, Arnaud, thank you so much for joining us on FinTV. I appreciate you coming on board here. Uh, why don't you uh, tell us a little bit about yourself? So thank you so much for allowing me to, to be with you. So I'm a French national. Uh, I'm multilingual, speaking uh, French, English, and Spanish. I've got about 20 years of experience in supply chain, in life science and FMCG. I've worked in different countries such as UK, Spain, UAE, and uh, Ireland and France, for example. And I've directed some large uh, supply chain team, whether it's in Europe or in UAE. My experience range from designing implementation, um, leading SNOP and inventory management process for a 200 million pound worth of sales business or leading the transformation for the Middle East and Africa region with about 150 million supply chain budget uh, with a target to reduce by 10%. And during that transformation program for Middle East and Africa, it was mainly concentrated on supply chain and logistics. So you're talking about saving 18 million in three years only on supply chain and logistic. I guess before we get to the transformation side of things, because it is definitely a topic that is of interest to people, uh, the reality is that we are all living in the middle of the eye of the storm, which is COVID-19. What do you think the largest impact of COVID-19 is on the supply chain right now? Well, I think we need to go back a little bit of history. Okay, so you're looking at China and India being the largest producer of APIs, active pharmaceutical ingredients, and generic in the world. As soon as the outbreak arrived, end of January, they did put a lockdown on all, so no one could go and work anymore. So you're looking after, suddenly, 20% of the APIs supplied in Europe, not there. India, was representing another 20% of the global generic supply. So you're talking about a huge trunk of the supply chain, which suddenly stops because you can't be exporting from China. So I think the main two impact in the supply chain, um, and I hope it's going to be a second step of the uh, COVID-19. I think some government tried to attempt to force the supply chain for pharma to come back in-house. That could be one of the uh, impact that it will happen in the future. At the same time, some company could mitigate the risk by diversifying their supply chain route into several countries. So for whenever there is a new outbreak, we could see that you have still different type of sources where your API could come. If I'm talking about my uh, last employer, GSK, 
Yes, you had a lot of APIs coming from China and India, but GSK had a certain number of primary manufacturing sites in the UK. So you had, I'm not with them anymore, so I don't have the details, but today you have a certain number of API coming from Europe and uh, UK especially. So, so what you're saying is that this, this effect right now, or I guess the companies looking forward to the post-COVID world would look at potentially bringing some of their supply chains functions more in-house uh, or more locally than anything else, or the option is to diversify uh, or I guess put, put different types of supply chains across multiple different uh, regions so that they're not affected by one region alone. Correct. And I think on the supply chain, it would be more the production side. Right. Every single uh, pharmaceutical company needs a certain number of API to make their products. And those yeah. API are essential. Without them, you can't make it. You may be able to replace an excipient from mm -hmm. one to the other, but API yeah. you can't. So that I think they're going to maybe bring it in-house or at least contracting some third-party contract manufacturer in order to get it closer to them or even in their country. Yeah. So I think that's what a lot of people are looking at right now. Let's go back and talk a little bit about the transformation project that you led. I mean, obviously, you don't need to give us any trade secrets or anything like that. But uh, give or take, what, what kind of techniques do you think that you were using to transform the supply chain? And what was your end goal? So the end goal was very easy. Saving money. That was the end goal. So okay. just to put a bit of history and background about it, you're talking about a supply chain who used to belong to commercial. So you're talking about a supply chain which as soon as the product was produced, the commercial entity in Dubai or in Latam, that they were their product and they were in charge to ship that to a warehouse or distributor. In 2012, GSK decided that that was going to go back to the global manufacturing and supply environment. So you're looking at a new supply chain coming to a new department. And the goal was here to optimize, simplify, and of course, make savings. Yeah. So the techniques that I've been using at the time was really about how can I, I'm going to say eliminate waste into your supply chain. Yeah. So my expertise into the Lean Think Sigma methodology has helped me a lot. Okay, you're talking about a very simple, I'm not a master black belt on Lean Sigma, but I know how to use the tools in order to apply to some supply chain. So some of the traditional tools which come with Lean Six Sigma, such as the MIIC, which is define, measure, analyze, improve, and control. So you define what you want to do. You need to make sure that you can measure, you analyze, you improve, and as soon as the improvement is in place, you control. So that's to go a little bit, a bit more into detail, you're talking about brown paper exercise, flow uh, charts in order to understand where it's going. You're asking the right question, the five wise methodology, in order to make sure that each of those tools will give you an undesirable effect that you could have into your supply chain. And as soon as you've got that undesirable effect, then you're starting to improve that and to see how you can solve that problem or that effect. Now, let me give you a few examples. 
So in some of the warehouses that suddenly arrived to a new department, you had a certain number of expiry stock which has not been destructed. Mm -hmm. Well, that stock is a waste. It's a waste of money, it's a waste of space. Let's do something about it. Um, I laid a warehouse footprint in a country where you had three warehouses in that country. Could we reduce by into one, putting one in the center of the country instead of three uh, small ones? Um, directed a lot of uh, analysis to understand how can we use or better use one single provider, logistic provider, for example, to do a task transport, for example? Or do you really want always to ship anything by air where you could ship it by sea? What is the impact on your working capital at the time? So a quick analysis between the benefit of having to ship by sea versus to ship by air, taking account the increase of lead time, which is some working capital increase, of course. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, it completely makes sense. And, and what effects did you see, really? I mean, what, was, what were the impacts in the business and, and, and how did you do all of this? So you have a governance. You have a way that GSK was really about, at the time, looking for cash, okay, savings. So you can't ask for X number of thousand pounds in order to do a project. So you need to build trust. First of all, you need to do the quick wins in order to show that you can deliver something which is going to bring cash. So that would be the quick wins. Then you're starting through that governance board, you're starting to ask a bit of cash in order to do a project. Knowing that every single penny that has been invested into your project needs to have a return on investment quickly. At the time in GSK, it was between three and a year, between three years and a year. It started with three years and very quickly, finance said, well, that's a bit too long, let's, and they reduced that up to at the end of my involvement, that was only a year. Mm -hmm. So you had to bring within a year, every single penny that you had invested into that transformation. Now, as soon as you've got that ROI, you're starting to get the right people to implement that. During that project, I had no team. My only way to implement that particular project was to influence people. I was based out of Dubai, looking after the Middle East and Africa. I had to be on the phone all the time, traveling a little bit, but influencing skills was really what uh, was the major, I would say, skill that you have to do that. Then you also have to gain trust to your um, stakeholders. And I think that has helped a lot in order to achieve that sort of a, a saving in three years. And, and okay, so, so you did this. So you've got this transformation, you know, which is, which is fantastic. But how do you make that these changes, you know, or, or how do you make sure that the changes actually are sustainable? How do you do that? So this is, I think, the hardest part. Just imagine you're uh, in Kenya. You have put something in place you have put a new process in place and suddenly that's it. You're walking off that project. Old habits may come back to. So you have to put something in place. And I think the best 
I've tried a few methodology, and I think the best one who really worked was a proper change management methodology. So you're talking about the big steps. I'm not going to go too much into detail, of course, but you're talking about preparing for the change. So you just identify the point of resistance and the tactics to overcome those. Could be someone. It could be, I've been with this supplier for 20 years. Why would I change it? Okay, so you define your trend strategy. You prepare the change team of what exactly is going to change and you develop a sponsorship model. And I think that is a key on preparing the change. Who is going to be an advocate to your change? Who's going to resist to your change? And that is helping a lot. If you have the GM against you for a change, the general manager, well, your change is not going to happen very quickly. I, I, sorry to interrupt you. I, li I like what you just say there about the fact that it's uh, that transformation can't be done without identifying who those people are that might be resistant to that. And that using a change management technique is pretty effective, isn't it? Yes. Yeah. And I think it's you can't just so you identify the people. That's number one. Then you include them into your change process, yes. into your governance, for example, on a particular uh, change. Then you have to manage the change. So you need to manage, of course, the one who is for the change, but also the one who is uh, opposition to the change. And I think this is where developing a plan, developing, um, including the team into your plan in order for them to understand that this is not only your idea coming from the headquarters to do that change, it's also their idea, and you need to show them the benefit that they are going to have. And the third thing is reinforcing the change. is really about collecting and analyze, and analyze the data, the feedback that you get after the change. And don't be stubborn. The change can be fantastic, but sometimes you may have missed something. So you may have to re fine-tune the change into something else. So take the feedback from the team, the local team, from the stakeholders, from maybe the people who were uh, sort of managing some resistance against that, uh, that change. You evaluate the gap, you evaluate the glitch, and you may have to change a little bit on that uh, type of change that you have put in place. Yeah, that makes yeah. sense. And so did you find that that worked quite well? I so the result of that I would say the figures speak from themselves 18 million in three years having no team is quite significant but I thought that that experience was really really benefit because suddenly the I saw a certain number of person who was opposite to the change who's starting to join let's say the journey Mm -hmm. And I may have had been a bit slow in the beginning on my change, but because I had the management team more and more understanding about what I was trying to, to do, they were not going to lose power, they were not going to lose team, they were going to have a more lean organization. And by having them coming in on board, involving into that governance board, suddenly they were even themselves saying, oh, no, why don't you do that? I would support you. So they were starting to be part of the journey. How many, how many, I mean, I'm sure you have, how many uh, situations have you experienced where this kind of uh, bring people with you technique isn't used? And 
do they do they fail? Well, I think I would be a bit pretentious to say that I have not failed some of the project. Yeah. Yes, yeah, yeah. yes, of course. Some of the projects have failed. But they're more actually, likely they're more likely to succeed though if if you take people with you. They're more likely to, to succeed if you're taking people with you, but some have you know, when you have a project which is going to go for six or eight months, we are in a very very dynamic region. You're in the Middle East or Africa where everything changed very quickly. So when you're starting your project to the end of the project, the situation may have changed. You may have to change your project. You may have to cancel that project because the situation is not yet anymore valid. I have an example of a, it was a, a project where we were going to ship from Kenya by road to another neighborhood country. Well, by the time that the contract was signed, by the time that we had all everyone on board, mm -hmm. The border was closed. It was air freight or nothing. So you see what I mean? So some of those projects, you need to, to I think you need to continue to think that you're in a very dynamic air, uh, environment. So you need to adapt yourself very quickly to the new environment. So what I like about what you've just talked about is sometimes you see people that come in to try to lead a transformation or lead change within a business and they're so rigid and stuck to their plan that they don't move away and, and you know move away from it in any way shape or form which usually angers the people that are within the the region that you're you're or within the department that you're trying to change so i like the fluidity that you talk about being fluid with the environment that you're in as well yeah i think it's essential to be agile to be able to understand that if you have not worked deeply into a region you don't know the region so you have specificity europe us asia or uh, africa and middle east is not the same type of region so you cannot yeah. implement exactly the same you may have some little twitch to do for each of the region yeah that makes sense so let's let's move to a different topic kind of the same but a bit different which is you know digital transformation you've talked about a really interesting transformation project uh, do you have any kind of experience with leading or working within digital transformation projects? So I have some experience. Um, so let me give you a background. You're talking about GSK, multi-million uh, billion uh, company. You're talking about delegating a certain number of custom broker management to a third party. So you're talking about someone else declaring goods, paying tax, receiving some of the money back sometime to, um, to a third party. So I'm taking that new role where it's the uh, supply chain, uh, supply chain uh, compliance director. And I'm looking at that and I see a gap. I see a gap of who controls those third parties. So I did put a, a place, a major service with our 4PL to do a check on every single declaration. Mm -hmm. So you're talking about thinking big. I wanted to do that for the whole world. Now, on a project, coming back to the way that you're talking about change management and you're talking about transformation, whether it's digital or not, it's still transformation. So let's start yes. small for your stakeholder to trust what you're going to do. 
So starting about Europe, two main things. I would say the first step was really to put a corrective action. How can we make sure that whatever is declared, declared at the third party custom broker is going to be the right one? So this is what I would call the corrective action. It's post-declaration, let's put something in place. That was a bit more hands-on, manual, resource-consuming type of project. Okay? Now, that was my first. So you're talking about starting to build a baseline to say, look, I have X number of errors here, which is a risk for GSK, because the custom authority of the country could come back to GSK. So by having built that first step project and having built that there is a risk here, I went to the second one and suggested that we were going to put in place a more digital solution, would be cheaper, first of all, and second, less, less uh, resource consuming for rectifying that corrective action. So looking at that, it was make sure that the documents which are being sent to the third party customer a uh, third party broker, custom broker, are the correct ones. There is no mistakes in it. So deploying some, so I linked with, I really linked with IT because I'm not 100% IT, but GSK has a fantastic tech department. Link with them and say, what can we do about it? We can do manual check on every single invoice, packing list and so on, or why don't we develop what they call bots? It's called scanning bots. It's basically, it's not classifier AI, it's classified as scanning, looking at a certain number of fields of an invoice, for example, the currency, for example, the uh, Inca term, to make sure that that is the correct one. And regarding that, directly mirror that operation, and either the docs goes directly to the fourth Pierre, who's going to forward that to the um, custom broker, or the document is being rejected. So suddenly you have a very clear understanding on which document is correct and which one is not. Now, I would say those, these two phases has been possible for mainly two things. The wish of the trade compliance, I'm not going to say any name, but of one particular individual that I really think about it, without him supporting the possible risk for GSK, that project would not have been possible. And the second one was the global head of uh, logistics who really saw a future in order to start looking at going back towards the source of some of the problem that GSK had with the documents. Okay, right. so right. really putting that in place, because at the end of the day, you need to do the correct thing for, for the company that you're working with. You need to make sure that whatever is being declared is the correct amount, whether you're paying, it's the right amount of tax to be paid. And I think those two huge support that I got into my former employee was absolutely fantastic in order to succeed into that project. So getting buy-in, getting support, getting uh, is critical, isn't it? Critical. And I think I'm not sure if I would have had the same success if I did not do my transformation role before in Middle East and Africa. Because I think a lot of people maybe under, 
estimate the influence that you need for such project and the influence that others will have on your project. So your governance, who's going to be the one influencing. And let's go and talk to each of the governance members before you're starting even your project or the governance board. You don't influence during the meeting, you influence prior to the meeting for the meeting to make the decision. So you've given me some good ideas of what worked and the things, you know, that where it was quite interesting because you did say not every one of your projects has, has succeeded, not everyone has failed. So uh, what didn't work? What worked well is something you've explained, but what didn't work? What could you have improved on? I think what has worked is the whole, uh, that's what I was talking to you about, the whole influencing, the whole yeah. very, uh, I'm going to say rigid this time, governance structure, very rigid again, uh, change management process. What could have been done better is I think involving more people. So I did that for Europe. Europe is a sort of a one country, custom wise at least, okay? And that is quite easy to manage. When I started to put that into other region, that was far more complex because you're not talking, you have a head of a region, but you're not talking about one or two person who is to be influenced. And I've left that influence at the level of a country. I should have done it more at the region level. And I think that may have been, and this is what, when I said to you just previously, do not underestimate what people can influence, mm -hmm. don't stay at you know, your level or a level above, go two or three level above to explain what you're going to do. So the, if I had to redo that, I would go to influence more high, high level into a region and do not underestimate it. I think so I really, re really reach out to the stakeholders and understand you know, at, the, at the regional level what the stakeholders can gain or lose or what they're, where they are. Is that Correct, something yes. that you would say? Okay. And, and anything else that you think that, uh, that could have been done differently or you, you can learn or any advice that you can give to professionals in supply chain that are currently looking at starting or uh, in the middle of a digital project? I think we, I will go back to the basic of transformation. Whether it's digital or not digital transformation, I think the basic is essential. Your change management pro process your governance process, your what do you want to change? I know it's part of the uh, preparing for the change step of the change management, but you need to be very clear what do you want to change. You have to have a vision, but you also have to have small goals and small step. A vision does, you don't go from A to the vision. You go from A, B, C, D, and then you arrive to the vision and you, that will take several years. So really talking about the small step in order to show what you're going to change for your benefit, for the company benefit, but also for the person who's going to be impacted by the change. Let's, let's now move to a, an interesting topic, which is, I mean, we've been talking about digital transformation. Uh, right now in the middle of coronavirus, a lot of the people that we speak with are, are saying that, uh, you need to transform where possible. If you haven't already, digital transformation is coming. You must do it. Uh, a lot of time, there's a lot of debate going on as to whether or not even in the middle of coronavirus, 
digital transformation projects are a must. What, what's your opinion on that? Let me take go back to maybe to more the pharma digital transformation that I see. So I have traveled for the last time before the lockdown, beginning of March. I went to a conference, very good conference, very well organized about digital transformation. And it was pharma exclusive. So, and I'm taking three major steps that the digital transformation will have an impact on pharma. Let's go a little bit of the short term, which is already happening. You've got a company who wants their patient to wear a digital tracker in order to understand how many steps they're doing. You have another one, which I've presented with, who has a device to control the state of the skin in order to know whether or not they need to put more or less cream onto their wound. Also, you've got some companies who are collecting the data from the end customer directly. I mean, I think that's fascinating. Um, you've got a semiconductor manufacturer who do their sales forecast via AI. It's been implemented for about three or four, four months and they were in the process still to implement it. They're still on dual ways of working to make sure that it's the right thing. But it means that they were distributing the forecast to their supplier 24-7, every single change. So that was more the short term, which is happening. And then you've got the medium term. AI to predict the sales history, the sales forecast. That's already happening. Amazon is doing it. Amazon ships some of the product before even you know that it's going to be ordered. I mean, that's fascinating. And I think that's what very often is referred as supply chain 4.0. Mm-hmm. So Amazon has just set up a new, trans- a new, about a year and a half old, a new company um, to manage their own transportation network in Europe. I think it's globally, but I know a lot about Europe. And that is also to manage the load of a trailer, how much we're going to put in that trailer, but also to put a system that deliver the customer order in the most efficient way. And that is to put, it's a sort of a Uber of the transportation. So instead of going to a DHL to get a truck, you would have an app to directly book and whoever is going to come, an owner of a truck. So putting, I would say the, the supplier and the customer in direct link. So that is medium term. I think it's quite the start of it, but it's going to come very quickly. And I've seen a few Amazon being recruiting quite a lot into their company on people which are going to be able to develop that. And then there is more the long term. Everyone talks about it. I think it's 3D printing. Today, during this uh, particular crisis that we're going through, you've got a lot of 3D printing of mask. I'm not sure how it works uh, for a mask, but I know it's happening. You've got, imagine if we could have printed our own medicine. I know it's a long way off, but there is experiment who are starting to happen about printing your own medicine at home. I mean, the possibility are quite exciting. 
instead very of much so. Yeah, because Sorry, no, I was gonna say very much so because basically what you're what you're envisioning is a situation where we go to the chemist or the pharmacy and we can print up our own medicine based on our own vitals, our own information. That's that's something that is could potentially be down the line. Absolutely right. So I don't think we're going to have a 3D printer each at home. No, it's going to be more the chemist who's going to adapt the formulation of a particular medicine to your needs. Mm -hmm. And if I'm coming back to the short term and that company who was wearing digital bracelet in order to understand what exactly your skin needs according to and how much they're going to put that cream in for you, it means that they could be able to adapt and to customize the medicine to exactly what you need. And I think the, I mean, I mean the cure, imagine that we find a cure for COVID-19 right now. And if, if I know it's not happening, but if the pharmacist had a 3D printer, you could imagine that every single pharmacist would print something which is exactly related to you. I think it's a fascinating world that we're going to go and see in the very near future for the pharmaceutical industry. Well, it's, it's not just the pharmaceutical industry. I mean, we've been discussing personalization in, in manufacturing for a long time. You've got car manufacturers that are making personalized cars. Uh, you know, with, with where you can actually go into the manufacturing plant and, and choose whether or not you want this type of uh, personalized, uh, I, I don't know, name on your, on your car seat or whatever it is. So there, there's personalization is very important. What do you think is the role of data in digital transformation projects or in any project? So I think that I'm, um, I'm a firm believer that data is essential. We need to have data for any transformation project because this is, transformation project is based on fact and data. It's not only based on, hmm, I think it's going to go right after the project. It needs to have a few fact and data. Now, I like the idea that we're collecting data. Whether it's a pharma company or another type of company, collecting data is a good thing, but what are you going to do with it? So I think it's very essential to, before starting to collect data from your customer, for example, is to understand what you're going to do with it. What do you want from your customer's data? And from that, you are collecting exactly the data that you want. So if I'm taking that um, a company who is giving who is taking that particular data knowledge, um, the number of steps, they're collecting the number of steps that the patient is doing in order to understand what is the mobility. They have a very precise understanding of what data they want. Are they going to collect the heart rate or are they going to collect something else? Maybe not. Very precise data in order to adapt what exactly they want. So I think we have millions of data today, billions of data, and everyone is collecting them. But let's go back a step, slow down a little bit, understanding what exactly the purpose of the data that you want, and then collecting the right data, and you have to analyze it. And analyze it, if you don't have, 
you can't analyze the data without knowing what you want. No, so I think this is true. where today it's quite tricky data. Fantastic, but let's know exactly what we're going to do. What about um, technology that's out there? You've spoken quite a lot about um, demand forecasting. Uh, you've spoken about uh, 3D printing, wearable technology, AI, machine learning. What technology that you think is out there that you're excited about for the future? In the world of supply chain, I think there is two that I would be very excited. So I started my career a lot about demand planning and inventory management. This AI, that what I would call AI, which is really about how can a system predict better, do many far more scenarios on predicting the future. So predicting the future based on cells, for example, uh, history, is something that I would want to see happening very quickly, because I think that would help. I don't think the demand managers were ever going to be, um, you know, get rid of the demand manager just because we don't need them. I think they will always be there, but I think the interaction with the system is going to be far different in the coming years. It's going to become something, a job which is going to be far more intellectual, let's say, analysis, instead of just putting a number and apply a statistical model. So that would be one of the very excitement that I have in the coming years. The second one is about transport. It's really about, if you're looking at the traditional model of transport that has been going on since ever, I would say, is you have a couple of very big companies, medium and small size company, and you book a transport and that's it. Now imagine that if you had the choice to book whatever you want, to directly connect with a, you know, with a, I would say with a transporter who owns his truck, in just like you're booking Uber. Right. You see what I mean? So if so you're looking for you, it more works to you as opposed to mass. Uh, 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 you know, servicing. It's more of a personalized servicing. It's a more personal servicing. It's a more, I have a more connection between, it may not work for a big multinational, but it may work for all the small multinational who today do not need to pay for a middleman in order to do. So there is a sort of a agility, that's number one, cost saving possible. And second is, Look at Uber. The Uber of transportation would be fantastic, mm. even for yourself. They would be able, if you are moving house from London to Ashford, mm -hmm. suddenly you're able to say, well, I've got only four pallets. I'm going to be able to say, I need four pallets truck who goes into that. And someone who, a truck who has going towards that direction would be able to take your load to go to Ashford. Yeah. So suddenly it's far cheaper than just booking a full truck. So I think this is where it's going to revolutionize the way that transport is done in the future. And I'm really, really excited about that type of a uh, revolution, to be honest. Sounds very interesting. What, one last question, I guess, before we go. What advice, and you've covered quite a lot of topics, but or you've given quite a lot of advice already, but what advice do you think that you'd give 
to professionals that are very stressed right now dealing with a lot of issues, but still have to deal with transformation projects. What advice would you give them? I think you, despite the crisis, you have two main advice that I would give. The first one would be, you have a goal, keep your goal. There is two things in crisis which company needs to, to bet on. Yes, it's despite the stress of that particular uh, crisis, you still have you still have employees, you still have human beings behind that company. And those human beings are the one who's going to get you out of the crisis. As soon as the crisis is finished, you need to have your employees there. You can't just wait for three months to re-employ someone. So first of all, bet on your employees, on your team members. And for your transformation, don't leave it go. You may have to slow down a little bit of the pace. You may have to adapt to a more low-hanging fruit, the quick wins of that transformation project, but don't stop it because the company is going to ask you as soon as you have the crisis is finished to go back to 100%. So don't let go people. And the second is cash is important. It's going to be, I think, one of the issues that you're going to see at the end of the crisis for many, many companies. But that transformation is, for a company, you need to invest into it. You don't transform a company without investing. So there is still, if you get the, if your transformation director get that trust from the company, has a clear goal, and at the same time is investing to the people of his team, I think that's a winning transformation. Maybe slowing down, but winning uh, transformation. Well, that makes a lot of sense. Thank you so much. I very much appreciate you being on here, Arno. Um, we wish you the best of luck. I hope you and your family are safe. Uh, and thank you very much for joining us on FinTV. Well, thank you so much for the opportunity and stay safe. You too. Thank for you. those of you that are watching, thank you so much for watching FinTV.